0: We're happy to be with you uh, this evening, and we trust that the Lord will bless you and give you a good time. And I want to just kind of warn you to begin with that that I'm going to talk to you about a controversial subject, and uh, you may not believe uh, what I believe, but I'd just like for you to. Um, believe that I believe it, then I will have accomplished everything that that, um, that I need to. Um. And if you have your Bibles th- this evening, I'd like to begin by reading three parts of the Lord's Word in John chapter 14. I'd like to begin reading there, and we'll go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And then go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, if you'll follow along with us. I'd like to read all three of those uh, passages, and um, you follow along with me. In John chapter 14, and this is an unusual portion of the, of the Lord's Word, in that the other Gospels uh participated in the Lord's Supper uh, here in John that's really not mentioned and in John's Gospel he gives a very long discourse which is not revealed in any of the other three gospels. So if you look in John's Gospel, you'll see in verse 1 that he says to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas asked him about uh, the way, and Jesus told him that he was the way. And the reason that I want to read this particular portion is because many people, when speaking about the rapture of the church, Uh, accuse us of not relating that Jesus didn't say where he was going uh, after the church was raptured. Well, in this particular passage, it does say that. And so I wanted to read that in regards to um, uh, the rapture of the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And I'm not trying to uh, convince you. I'm just trying to tell you the way I feel about it because I feel that uh, I, I owe you that much and uh, uh, I want you to uh, to understand that. If you look with me on over into first Corinthians chapter fifteen, uh, we'll begin reading like in verse fifty one of first Corinthians fifteen. Paul says here, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's really an interesting verse. Um, I really got in a lot of trouble one time uh, uh, at one of my churches because I went to the nursery and printed this verse up. And... um, put it on the door, and the nursery workers wasn't too happy about all that, and it was the changing part that they didn't like. But then, uh, at, at any rate, uh, Paul says it further in this, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Before you leave here, I want to ask you to look in verse 54. In this verse, there is this phrase at the end of the verse, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, with that in your mind, if you'll look back with me in the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 25, I'd like to read a verse there to you. In Isaiah 25, and this is a great um, scene in the Old Testament, if you look in verse 6, we'll begin here, and you'll see that Isaiah says, In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, and fat things full of marrow, and wines uh, well refined. He'll destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. What that means is that the Lord will remove that strong delusion that He has sent in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, And there will be clarity of view and of worship in regards to Him. And then you'll see in verse uh, 9, He says, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, uh, He will save us. Uh, We have waited for Him. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad And um, um, in this mountain, in verse 10, the hand of the Lord uh, will rest, and Moab shall be trodden down, and and so forth. This this is an earthly scene. And you'll notice in verse 8 that he says the same phrase, that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, He will swallow up death in victory. But that's if you compare Isaiah 25-8 with 1 Corinthians 15, that's two different scenes. It's the same wording, but it's two different scenes. In 1 Corinthians 15, 15, it's to the church, and it's at the time of the rapture. In Isaiah 25, 8, it's at the end of the tribulation and just before the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And um, you you know that because in 1 Corinthians 15. He speaks of our being changed. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're caught up in the air to meet the Lord. But here in Isaiah 25, uh, he is quoting this as at the end of the uh, tribulation period and before the beginning of the millennium. It's amazing how that we can uh, confuse things. And just for an easy explanation of that, I can tell you, like, um, I have a new car. Well, you can say the same thing. Uh, You have a new car. But there's a difference in the quality of that statement. Mine will be a Cadillac and yours will be a Volkswagen. But um, it's the same well, unless they put that guy in jail. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, the phrase is the same, but the timing is different in regards to that. So I, I wanted you to see that, and uh, we'll continue on in First Thessalonians chapter 4 for a minute. First Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'll look with me in the fourth chapter, in the thirteenth verse, we'll read this to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, the Scriptures tell us, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So comfort one another with these words. We've read to you three passages in regards to a great event that will occur one day. And this event must occur before there can be a millennial kingdom or a kingdom on on this earth. And it is, of course, called uh, the rapture uh, by most uh, Bible teachers and so forth. And I think it will be a tremendous event, but there is a great deal of differences of opinion in regards to the rapture. Uh, there is a partial rapture, there is a pre-tribulation rapture, there is a mid-tribulation rapture, Uh, there is the post-tribulation rapture, and in recent days there is a pre-wrath rapture uh, in regards to all of that. Now for uh, the the regular person, I think that... uh, you can really get confused if you um if you look at, at at all of these things and so i just want to tell you this so that you'll understand you know and if you have trouble understanding what i'm saying i'll uh, i'll repeat it i don't believe in any of those except the pre tribulation rapture and um you can you know if you don't agree and you'd like to leave, you can feel free to be dismissed. But if you do leave, don't ever come back again. so uh, so I just I just want you to know and and I, I want to try to uh, get to a, a blessing uh, part of this uh, in in a few minutes, but. Um, it's it's impossible for me to comprehend a partial rapture. I I, I don't believe that. Um, and so, if you think uh, you think, and, and and don't talk to me afterwards, you ain't gonna change my mind. I'm not uh, I'm not gonna change. Uh, uh, for two reasons: one, I don't believe that, Another, and other I'm just too stubborn to change. So, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I don't think the scriptures teach that uh, at, at all for several reasons, and and I want to give you just 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 a few of these reasons. Uh, um, the Lord Jesus taught us in if you will allow me to read from uh, John chapter 6 for a minute. I'd like to uh, look there for a second. In John chapter 6, if you look in um, verse 37, I think we'll start there. Jesus said, um, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should choose, lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Uh, If you read verse 40, this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him uh, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 44, he says, No man can come to me except the Father hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And this is repeated several times And uh, it's in John chapter 5 and so forth. But if there is to be a partial rapture, which I don't believe, if there is to be a partial rapture, then no one here knows if you'll participate in the resurrection. And so you will have lost a lot of your joy in regards to that, but you would say, oh, preacher, we have to live a dedicated life. How do you know? And then, if at the time of the Lord's coming and the rapture would occur in a partial way, and He only takes those who are considered, in some folks' opinion, worthy, why would there be a judgment seat? And the scriptures tell us that every believer, every believer uh, is indwelt with the Holy Spirit and sealed unto the day of redemption. And that day of redemption has to be the time of the rapture of the church or the resurrection. And if the Holy Spirit takes the believer, the one who has believed and places him into the body of Christ, would not the Scriptures in Romans 8, 11 say, He, if He that dwells in you, if the Spirit dwells in you, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will also quicken your earthly, mortal, fleshly body as he did him. And if there is to be a partial rapture, this would mean, as my teacher taught me years ago, Dr. Wilson, he kept telling me this particular, you're in the body of Christ, and God will not raise an amputated body. And that's what I believe, and I ain't going to change. Uh, so, don't, um, don't, don't. And if you don't believe that, you feel free to be wrong. Okay? Just uh, no. <laughs> you, you feel free to do as the Lord directs you. I'm just telling you tonight uh, how I feel and what I think, and I intend to stick to that. And um, I hope. I think it does a great deal of injustice. I think it's an erroneous teaching. I think it belittles the Lord's promise to return for believers. I think it uh, it uh, d- demeans the Lord's prayer in John 17 when He says that He is praying that none would be lost. I think it means that uh his work today is in vain and invalid in that he is the great intercessor. And do you remember the story when the children of Israel uh, were in a famine and they went down to Egypt? And um, Joseph, who was there and was feeding them, said, I want you to bring your little brother. And they didn't want to do that. So Judah talks to his father and says, Look, Dad, I'll be surety for Benjamin. Anything that occurs, anything whatsoever, I'll take the blame and I'll be there. He was surety for his brother. He took his place. He observed that. And didn't the Bible say in Hebrews 7 that Jesus Christ is our surety? He stands for us. We may do wrong. We may be carnal. We may not be spiritual. And if you want to know, do I believe that the Lord will uh, judge His believers, that there will be... uh, Uh, things that will occur after the judgment seat? I absolutely do. I just don't believe that there will be a partial rapture. I believe the body of Christ is a whole and that it will be raised together with Him. And I know many learned men who teach opposite of this. I don't agree with that. And um, you... uh, you 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 may uh you may not like me anymore after that but that's all right i won't like you either so uh, <laughs> that's not true that's not true i'm just uh, I'm just teasing you about that but i want you to see uh uh what what I, what i think when the lord took his people israel out of egypt did he take them all And when Moses confronted Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, well, you can take a few. You can take everybody but certain. Do you know what Moses told him? Moses told him, there won't be one hoof of one cow left. We're taking everything. Would the Lord Jesus not love His people more than that? Then... The cows of Egypt I just um, I, I just wanna I just wanted to mention that to you and uh, and I hope that you'll take it for whatever it's worth and uh, there are just there are just many things in regards to that and then like when the Lord Jesus wrote to us uh, in regards to certain things. And we look back into the Old Testament in chapter 12. Why was there not a bone of the lamb broken in chapter 12? This is repeated in Psalms. No bone broken. And it was miraculous when the Lord Jesus died on the cross that there was No bone broken. Would it not be in a significant manner when the Lord told the, or when Paul told the Ephesians, uh, he said, We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We may be chastised. We may be uh, isolated or uh, put in a bad position uh, in regards to our failures. But if we are, uh, it won't be at the time of the rapture. The Lord will take care of His own. And uh, I I wanted you to see that. And, And that's... I just—I don't want to be a hypocrite, uh, and I don't want you to think that uh, I think one thing when I don't. And uh, I want you to turn with me, if you will, now, and and I'll try to—I'll try to behave a little better. And I know. <laughs> I know, you know, don't come up to me and read Philippians chapter 3 after this. Because it don't make sense to me for uh, Philippians chapter 3 to be in these books by these learned men, good men. And then Paul to say in second Timothy 4 I'm now ready to be offered uh I will uh, uh rejoice in the fact that there's a crown laid up for me. And I know, he says, all of those who look for me. And I know that not all believers do that. But I don't know who all who are believers. I only know of two people in this congregation tonight that I know for sure that are saved. One's my wife, and the other one is me. And sometimes... Uh, <laughs> If you think I'm going to say that, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, we well, It's me that I doubt sometimes. <laughs> not, not her. But at any rate, and folks, if the Apostle Paul couldn't attain to that, who in the world could? Who of us could? So, with that in your mind, I want you to look forward to the rapture of the church. And uh, when you go home tonight, just say, Royce doesn't believe in a partial rapture. So uh, look with me for a minute, and then I want to I try to wind this up in a second. Look with me in chapter 20 of the Revelation for a minute. In chapter twenty I want to read in verse four in the Revelation chapter four uh, chapter twenty and verse four and I saw thrones and they set upon them and judgment was given to them, and this coincides with Daniel chapter seven where Daniel sees the thrones set up as well. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the uh, witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part. In the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, and they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. In regards to the rapture, you'll see that in verse 5, He speaks of the first resurrection. Now, in my opinion, the first resurrection has three parts. It has the part of the first fruits. It has the part of the main harvest. And then it has the parts of the gleanings. And I think that coincides perfectly uh with the uh, old testament uh, fields of israel when the lord gave to them the feast and if you will i want you to turn back with me to leviticus chapter 23 and i want to i want to read here for a minute in leviticus chapter 23 <clears throat> In Leviticus chapter twenty three, <clears throat> you'll see that he begins in the first few verses, and he talks about the uh, Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and so forth. And then in verse ten he mentions something that's that's of particular interest. You'll see that he says uh, when you come to the land. And you will reap the harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Now, I believe that this is typical of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Christ, the first fruits. And that's uh, what I think. Now, this is plural. And if you remember when Christ arose, that there were many saints who came out of the grave as well with Him. And they are considered the first fruits. It was simply uh, the chef of a harvest that was yet to come. Now... In regards to that, I think the 144,000 that are in the uh, book of the Revelation are those that arose with the Lord Jesus uh, then. I know that's strange. And the reason I think that is because in the Revelation chapter 14, they are called the first fruits. But nonetheless... uh, that's what it, what it was. If you'll um, if you'll look with me in Leviticus twenty three, here's what I want to try to uh, capitalize on, and I hope after all that I've said that it'll be a blessing to you. In verse twenty two, when you reap the harvest of your land, and that's the general harvest. Thou shalt not make a clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. Do you not think that that's kind of an uh, unusual statement? the gleanings was the corners. When they reaped the harvest, they were not to reap the corners. Why do you think this occurred? What do you think that the significance of that might be? And that's what I want to... um, to emphasize the completion of typically the first resurrection or the harvest of Israel is completed at the time of the gleanings. And that involved the four corners. Now, if you were a farmer... And this was your field. The Lord said to you, you got to leave the corners. The four corners particularly. And there's a significance to that. And what I want you to see is that the corners are God's. There's no size given here. And if you were to do this, you would probably be criticized for neglect. But you had to leave those corners. Now, in regards to what I want to try to say to you for a minute, I want you to see the importance of this word corner. If you'll um, if you look over to uh, chapter 19 in the book of Leviticus, you'll see another mention of this. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land... Thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings altogether. And in, in this particular passage, the Lord tells them that when they shave, they can't shave the four corners of their beard. Or the corners of their head. Why would the corners be so important? And keep in mind, this is at the completion of the harvest. Or the completion of the first resurrection. And if you look through the scriptures, you'll see that this phrase is mentioned numerous, numerous times times, four corners, and if you'll follow with me for a minute, look back with me to Exodus chapter 25, and look in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 25. Now, if you're not mad at me, uh, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is the completion. This is something that's important to the Lord. In verse 10, the Lord tells Moses to do something, and he says, Make an ark. That's the ark of the testimony. That's the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle or in the economy of Israel. And he says he'll make it uh, two cubics and a half, and then a cubic and a half the breadth, and then a cubic uh, and a half the height, which would only be about 18 inches. Have you ever wondered how Aaron got his rod in that? Well, anyway, in the 11th verse, you'll see that he was to overlay it with pure gold, within, without. And he was to put a crown around it. And in verse 12, we're back to where we were. You'll cast four rings of gold and put them in the four corners. In the economy of Israel, that phrase, four corners, is mentioned over and over and over again. In their worship, in their fields, in their persons, it's mentioned over and over again then he says something that's very important here. He said, you'll make two rings on one side, two rings on the other side, and thou shalt make staves or rods of wood, sit on wood and overlay them with gold. And you'll put these staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. Look in verse 15. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. So in these four rings, there were two staves, two rods, and they put them in. Keep in mind that I'm trying to typically talk to you about the final stage of the harvest or the resurrection. These rods or these staves were made out of wood, and then they were overlaid with gold. Now, the wood would speak of the earthly kind of things. The gold would speak of the deity or the riches and so forth uh, that, are, that would, be, would be there. But these staves were to stay in this ark. They were not to be removed or taken away out of the four corners. So there was to be something permanent about the four corners. The wood would be typical of humanity. The uh, gold is typical of deity and glory. And to me, the Lord is trying to show us that there are human elements in regards to this And then there is glorious elements as well. And the glory overcovers the human. Now, if you read in Numbers 7, and I'm not going to read that, you'll read that when Moses divided the wagons among the Levites, the three elements of the Levites, he wouldn't give the Kohathites any of the wagons. And the reason being is they had to bear the furniture on their shoulders. So the reason for the rods being there in the four corners of the ark was so that men could bear this ark wherever uh, the Lord led them. This would be a great burden. It would be very heavy. It would be very trying. It would be difficult. And on one occasion, the Philistines stole this ark. And it was so important that they bore it on their shoulders that one man, when they put it on a wagon, tried to help the ark and keep it on the wagon, and the Lord killed him right there. It was important that they bore it on their shoulders. Now I want you to see for a minute why this is so important. Can you imagine when they went through the Red Sea, these guys carrying this ark? Can you imagine every time the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire moved, they would carry this ark? And then they put additional weight on it by covering it up. And then... Before they entered into the land, did you know that the priest in the book of Joshua had to stand in the Jordan until all the Israelites passed over? Can you imagine these men standing there till hundreds of thousands of people went through the Jordan River? And don't you imagine that they were saying, please hurry. (laughs) There was a burden there. And this, in some respects, is speaking to us about uh, the preciousness of God's love for His people. Israel in particular, typically for us in general. How could that be possible? What's the Lord teaching us in regards to these staves? Did you know when they come to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane they brought staves to take him? Did you know that that word "stave" in the New Testament is the same word as "tree" and the cross? Well, in regards to that, what happened? What happened to these four corners? If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8, let me read a verse to you and I'll close just a second. 1 Kings, and keep in mind what the Lord told Moses about the staves in Exodus 25. In 1 Kings chapter 8, you'll see that Solomon assembles the elders in verse 1 and the heads of the tribes and so forth. And he's built this beautiful temple, this magnificent structure in the place where the Lord is going to put His name. Look what happens in verse 8. They drew out the staves that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without. They are there unto this day. The staves or the burden of the ark will continue... Until the children of Israel arrive in the promised land in the glory of the temple that the Lord builds, then they'll be removed. Do you know what this word ends means? Means head. It's the same word that the Lord used in the Garden of Eden. When he said, the serpent will bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman will bruise his head. There is relief and there is joy that is to come in regards to the thing when we reach the promised land and the end of the harvest has taken place. I hope I hadn't confused you, and I hope that you um, have listened, and thank you for your attention. God bless you.